We just started recording. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, folks. Welcome to Karate Without Belts. I'm John, uh, joined by Jeremy, and welcoming Chuck. How the heck are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm alive and well. Jeremy, how are we doing? Doing, doing pretty well. Just, uh, you know, hitting the barbecue this weekend and waiting for the storm to hit tonight. So it's all good. So, so I just want to kind of indicate that this is three different time zones we're recording this on. So, Chuck, you're on the East Coast? Yes, sir. Jeremy, you're in, you're in the heartland of the good old U.S. of A., and I'm on a tiny island somewhere. So, um, so today we've got Chuck with us, and I kind of want to um, push him up uh, before we really get started. Chuck is uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and he's also a well of karate knowledge that you never knew about. He will joke with you, he will he will laugh with you, and then he will put you on the ground and hurting without you even knowing it. So, welcome, Chuck. Thanks. So, how, th- how have things been um, your end? Um, you've got a pretty big school that is now kind of empty. And it's funny you should say pretty big school. When, um, when, when Jim Lowe, my instructor passed away uh, January. Um, we had our yearly Myrtle Beach seminar, and Taika asked me one of the last conversations that I had with him. We were walking down the hallway, and he looked at me and he said, "Shuck." He always called me Shuck. Shuck. How many students, Jimmy, leave you? And I looked at him and I said, six. He looked at me and shook his head said six oh jimmy not leave you good business <laughs> i said no sir jimmy not leave me good business <laughs> that was probably one of the last conversations i had with taika one of the things that jim Lowe did was that he didn't he didn't really teach children and he always had a day job so that kind of limited us on our um, we didn't need to have that many students so the focus was more on quality instruction and the people that wanted to be there rather than, you know, having 200 children in there trying to teach them and with time being spread out. That's a pretty big commitment of time, even if you're talking about not having many students necessarily, but that's, you know, those are, those are some hard shoes to fill. Absolutely. And so, I mean, right now with COVID, how are you guys dealing with classes? Um, mostly just um, myself and an empty dojo. I do have some of my students, because I do have students that have commercial schools. And unfortunately, it's hit them very hard where they were starting out at 140 students, roughly 140, 150 students. And um, now they're down to 90. And so one of my students was telling me he's putting out six videos a day, trying to stay in touch with everybody. And basically I'm doing the same thing is I'm making more videos. I'm making a lot of videos and sharing that with them. And they're sending me videos back and I'm telling him, okay, you have the wrong leg forward or 
lower your shoulders down, you know, bring your arms in or whatever the case may be in order to, to continue the training. And that's difficult. I mean, even Jeremy and I, actually, I mean, it's basically what we're still doing today is that, you know, for a long time, we were just video Skyping and I think we were the OG version of this. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that definitely came out of, as I've mentioned before, it came out of a, of a, a bit after a, a little bit of sake after a belt test. Basically, I, I was an engineer for a telecom provider at the time, and somebody's like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. You know, so it, it, I think part of it was a sake speaking to me and the other part of it was like no i think i can actually do this and so but that's become now it's become like the cornerstone of the world like it's how the world now needs to work and operate and that's as hard as as you're trying to run karate schools um either big in terms of students or big in terms of you know commitment i mean so i mean check chuck being a teacher of teachers i mean that's a that's a pretty strong commitment and I think that's that's one thing, you know, that stood out to me when I was thinking about, like, well, what are we going to kind of talk about with Chuck is that, above all else, Chuck, you are a committed guy to what you've been doing. And I think what would be a good kind of point to kind of jump off of is kind of, what moment do you think you can point to and say, you know, you went from being just a guy who walks in a dojo and and, you know, does karate to this is going to be something I'm going to take on as a lifestyle. I don't really think there was a particular moment for that. Myself, personally, I've always been interested in karate. I was never, uh, well, I grew up, I had, you'll appreciate this, a lot lot of people may not understand it, but I watched Ultraman (laughs) when I was younger. I actually was forced to quit watching it because parents thought it was too violent. I own the complete DVD set now, but anyway. You know, I watched Hong Kong Fui as a child. Yeah, so when it first came out, I watched it. And so it's always something I've had an interest in. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old, though, that I was able to actually take classes and pay for my own classes. And actually, uh, that's when I started. So it's always something I've had an interest in, and it was just, just been a lifelong journey ever since. Okay, was it, was uh, just your your folks didn't want you to necessarily get involved in, in violent sports, or uh, just you know if you wanted it was one of those if you want to do it pay for it yourself. It was more like being poor, so not having enough money for classes to attend classes. So I started, of course, started getting a job and then was able to start paying for classes. I had um, something maybe not a lot of people know is that I was a severe asthmatic from the time I was two, basically, until I was 17. So I was the poster child for asthmatics, every experimental drug or whatever they had. And I couldn't breathe basically every day of my life until I was 17 years old. Really? So when I started taking karate, I actually believe that it helped me. And it was hard. It was difficult because, you know, when you're trying to exercise and you can't breathe, it, it's extremely difficult. But you just keep at it and keep doing it. Eventually, your lungs build up and 
you know, you're able to overcome some obstacles. So had that kind of, that early asthma prevented you from doing much physical activity like sports or, you know, football, basketball? It prevented me from doing a lot, yes. I always tell people when someone asks me about why martial arts or why karate, I always tell them, well, I was too short for basketball, too slow for track, and too small for football. There wasn't much else. Always curling. <laughs> That's true. I did not know what that was. Grenade, great Canadian sport. So, what, where, where, where did you first kind of start out on in terms of where you, where you were training, and how, can you maybe lead us a little through that journey, going from this you know asthmatic kid to kind of maybe where you are today? There was a Marcus American style karate in Columbia, South Carolina. And his senior student was named Jimmy Fullwood. And Jimmy Fullwood was basically, he was about six foot three, uh, 180 pounds. And he had, he had a finger that wasn't quite right. Like the end of it was just, uh, blunt. And he was, uh, he was a great kicker. And so, uh, he, he was right down the street. So I was actually able to walk to his dojo from where I lived at. You know, started started lessons that way. How long did you kind of st- stick with this initial teacher, and then kind of, you know, what I, what kept on kind of making you keep going back and going back and going back, even with this, you know, asthma problem? It was just something I enjoyed doing, and the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to learn about it, and the more he did. And it turns out that uh, Kevin Roberts, one of Doug Perry's senior students, actually. And, and Jim Logue actually taught uh, Mr. Fullwood Kanishi no Sai. Oh, wow. They didn't, well, they didn't really do a whole lot of weapons. Didn't do a lot of weapons training. Did some. Not a lot. But if I'm not mistaken, he actually learned Kanishi no Sai and Bo Kihon from Jim Logue. It's a small world. So was that all within that uh, kind of northern, southern North Carolina, northern South Carolina area? Or? So what do you think like created I was, I was that? I in Sumter, South Carolina, which was about 45 miles from Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, South Carolina uh, was where, quote, unquote, Master Marcoux actually had uh, his dojo left. What, what do you think necessarily like, caused that kind of coalition of different karate guys just to kind of all come, I guess, within two states of each other? Well, I think the time period, because you're talking 30 plus years ago, and at that time, not a lot of karate schools in the South, not a lot of, um, you know, Major Perry was here, and he just got back from Okinawa, roughly, I mean, he retired from the military roughly in 1986, I believe. So, of course, Jim Logue trained with Taika in Okinawa, and... Everybody just kind of, you know, Major Perry being in North Carolina, Jim Logue being in Columbia, South Carolina, you know, they just started meeting each other. Kevin Roberts, you know, when when Jim Logue says, hey, I saw somebody that advertised Okinawan Karate, I wanted to see what they were about. And basically, they just became friends, and then they started doing stuff together, and the next thing you know, in 1991, I believe, there's, Major Perry has a little Okinawa summer camp where there's only basically a handful of people 
different instructors from different back, different backgrounds, different Okinawan systems. And it just grows from there because the more students you gain, the more people you bring to camps, the more people that need each other, and it just grows. What was kind of, I guess, a jumping off point from just kind of being someone who, you know, was attending classes, was getting over something that was, uh, you know, dealing with asthma, with this asthma and getting over that, and then kind of maybe jumping over to what you feel was like a little more instructional, was getting more involved with the kind of different higher instructors there at the time. Where where would you say you, you got to that point? Where I got to which point? Kind of going from just go, just a guy going to a dojo to more being more of an instructor, being more of a teacher, and then getting involved in the kind of greater life of martial arts down, down in South Carolina. I think the biggest is just time. It's just time. When you, when you train, when you study, when you practice, when you show a commitment to an instructor that I'm here, I'm going to be here, I'm an open book, you can teach me, let me learn from you, and a lot of, you keep going back. No matter what happens, you keep going back. And when you show that kind of commitment, then you start learning things, they start teaching you things that maybe they're not teaching somebody else. And if you just keep going back for years and years and years, obviously they're going to say, eh, well, you know how to do nunchaku. Go teach nunchaku kihon or something. You know, and you start getting put out there in front of people. Uh, I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm not doing a demonstration, Chuck. You are. And the next thing you know, you start doing demonstrations in front of other students and seniors, and it just builds from there. So it's just, it is really just putting in the time. I guess one one conversation that goes around that is that, you know, how do you, how do you feel like was going through all that time? Because me and, me and Jeremy had discussed this in a different point where it was like, you know, we've seen people come and go and just from the amount of time we put in and just kind of maybe come in, come in for a little while, you know, act like a big shot and then kind of leave. Jeremy, you definitely dealt with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely dealt with that quite a bit. I mean, where you'd have, you know, somebody come in, get to either a certain rank or learn something from you from, a, you know, certain whatever they were wanting to learn, then they just kind of moved on. Really, They really weren't interested in sticking around. It was just kind of like, I'm just going to take what I can get and go on. I, I, I'm just kind of curious. Have, have you had many experiences with that or, or not too much? It, it happens. It happens to us all, unfortunately. And sometimes I'm a little more, I used to get my hopes up. This is going to sound terrible, but like Jim Logue, he used to get his hopes up when somebody would say, this is the greatest thing I've seen since sliced bread and peanut butter. And yet they only show up once a year, you know, to a seminar or something to that effect. And, or they say they were going to, going to come to class and, hey, we're having a new student's night and they never show up. It's also, like you said, when somebody gets to a point to where it's, I don't want to do this anymore, or I don't really want to learn weapons, or I've already learned six katas, and that's all I want to do, and then they leave. And you think about 
Uh, I remember one incident where Sensei, uh, Jim Logue, we failed a guy in a promotion. And you don't hear, you don't hear these stories very often. Giving this guy up to speed in the next three weeks or whatever for what he needed to work on, so he could to begin. Well, he made out the certificate, put his name on it, wrote it all out, you know, uh, katakana, and spent some time on these certificates. And right after receiving the certificates, a couple of them just didn't come back. And he was really hurt by it because he said, you know, I spent all that time, you know, taking the certificate and getting their belt and everything, and they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. But sometimes life gets in the way. And that that's one thing that I've come to realize over the years because before it was, you need to be there no matter what. But every once in a while, as we know, especially right now during these times, that life gets in the way and they may not be able to come to class or they may not be able to continue studying or they may have a job that they get transferred to. Right. So unfortunately that happens also. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a different, different circumstance. I mean, yeah, it's... I, I know I've I've seen uh, one that's coming to mind right off the bat was um, one person that was all all they really wanted to do was get their get their don rank and then as soon as they did they were they were gone and yeah. you, you tried to contact them back and they're like oh I've learned everything I need to learn it's like really okay how's that working for you but you know it's just kind of I mean, I, I get where people, you know, I get the fact that, you know, sometimes people look at it as a destination instead of, you know, a complete life, life journey as opposed to, you know. Well, yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of where, like, I don't know, some people say, like, the life is a journey thing, but it, it, it's the, the destination of Black Belt or whatever, I mean, is that re- is that really a good indicator for having learned something, um, or is this kind of a demarcation point where we want to tell people, "Hey, you've gotten to this point. Now you can learn all this other stuff." You know, it, it is funny. I mean, that that's how I kind of. I, I don't know if do you remember this, Chuck, but I mean, I remember. You know, at one time it was like, okay, you know, until you get done rank, you can't learn this, you can't learn that, you can't learn, you know, a lot of different things. Um, a lot of it would be advanced stuff. But I, I don't right. know if you, you remember that or not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably do. But. I do, and, and I understand, you know, people do things different ways, and I understand some of the reasoning behind some of it, but it's I've changed my way of thinking over the years too, and I just said, well, you know, we you might not learn the second comma kata until second degree black belt, or might not learn the eku until second degree black belt, or you have to be, you know, like you said, you know, a certain rate before you can learn certain things, and. I think it depends on the student now. You know, I think sometimes if you have a really good student that is interested in learning something, Nuntipo, whatever the case may be, then maybe it's okay It's okay to go ahead and teach that student that. So I've kind of changed my thinking about that over the years. But, yeah, what you're saying is correct because that's exactly the way that I was brought up is you can't learn this until you're this rank. 
But then you come to find out that black belt showed on, you know, we compare it to college. We compare it to high school and from middle school to where you might have been a big shot in the eighth grade. All of a sudden, you're in high school, you're in the ninth grade, and you're the low man on the totem pole again. You can go, you might be the star football player in high school, and then you get to college, and you're starting all back over again. So Shodan is just a, you know, obviously Shodan, minor Don. You are just starting to learn the basics. Just my opinion, but you're just starting to learn the basics. The conversation we were having earlier about making mistakes, and I can't tell you, I mean, and I have friends that also have been training for a long time, and we get together, and we talk about it. I can't tell you how many times people look at a videotape and say, wow, that looked awesome. And you look at them, and you smile, and you say, yeah, that was take number nine. And that's if it was good and not 9D or something, you know, so I get it. Well, nowadays yeah. we can just CGI, CGI out all that nonsense and, uh, you know, make the guy do a flip and give him abs. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know probably, probably you guys are the same way. I mean, I've learned a lot more from my mistakes than I ever learned from my successes, it seems like a lot of times my successes I'll forget about, but my mistakes, I'm like, don't ever do that again. Don't do that again. Don't, you know, uh, I'll never forget uh, what, um, my uh, first instructor, Robbie, he put me up against, um, it was one of the first times I was Bogutte. I don't know if I've ever told the story, but the guy he put me up against, he was a former Golden Glove boxer, you know, and this is like the first time I'm sparring, I'm like, okay, you know, you know, I'm feeling pretty good, I got a couple, couple shots in on him, you know, things are going pretty good, and sure enough, I left, left the center of my body open for just long enough for him to hit me twice and knock me completely out, so, Moral story, yeah, I, center of body is always covered, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I mean, that happened, what, 30 years ago, guess what? Yeah, people, it ain't going to happen again. People so. still aren't covering the center of their bodies 30 years later. What are, the ki- what are we teaching the kids? Yeah, exactly. So, but, yeah, but there's, but, a, there, there's something to be said for that. Um, I guess with the with those mistakes and, and kind of learning from them, um, and kind of seeing you know other people make those mistakes and stuff. I guess what Chuck, you I mean you've got this like long history of you know seeing a lot of different instructors and working with a lot of different folk um, and kind of ending up where um, kind of having the having this you know school this school and you know these kind of different students around. From kind of when you started teaching, I guess, to now, and I mean, pandemic notwithstanding, what, um, because obviously, you know, no one, no one could have, pl- no one could have planned for this, um, suppo- supposedly, uh, you know, what are some mistakes you feel like you, you made in terms of maybe teaching and kind of maybe also in terms of expectation and commitment? And then kind of what have you learned about that now? When you talked a little bit about, you know, Everyone's a little different, but especially when you're teaching 
other teachers, you know, what what did what did that I guess teach you, and what have you learned from that? I think one of the biggest things that I learned was something I kind of touched on earlier about everybody being different. And I had a friend of mine tell me one time because I used to be, no, you have to do this, you have to do it perfectly before you can move on. And I I don't do that anymore. My son told me one time, everybody should have to do Nahanshi Shodan for three years. And I told him, I said, yes. I said, and you'll have two students, yourself being one of them, and you might have one more person that's stuck around. A friend of mine told me one time, and it took me a long time to take this advice, is people take karate for different reasons. Some people take it to lose weight. Some people take it for exercise. Some people take it as a social club. Some people take it for self-defense, and some people just take it for the lifestyle, and they will be with you for life. Those are far and few between. Think about how many people become a black belt. Just the, just the showdown level. I, I think the number I keep hearing is one in a thousand. And you have to basically say, you know, it's just an orange belt. I've gotten to the point, it's just a showdown. It's just a need on. They will grow into it. And if they, if you give them enough, they will continue to grow, continue to stay with you, and continue to learn. And so I think that's what I've learned from being, from first starting off to now, basically, is that take everything with a grain of salt. You know, you're going to have those people that say, oh, I'm going to be in class on Tuesday, and they don't show up. And at first you get very disheartened by it. And it took me a while. But then I started figuring out what Sensei was telling me about, you know, the disheartening and where where are the students at and people just aren't committed like they used to be. And you learn to take it with a grain of salt. And and, and you learn to, because I asked him before, we've had students that were higher ranking students. And when I was coming up, I asked him, I made the mistake of asking him twice. That was my first mistake. It was about six months later, though. But I said, I don't understand why this person is this rank. And he looked at me and he kind of smiled and he said, don't worry about it. Well, apparently I've forgotten the lesson because about six months later, we're sitting in the exact same spaces. And uh, I looked at him and I said, sir, I, I don't understand why. And he looked at me and he kind of half smiled and he just, don't worry about it. And it took me a while to figure out that lesson. And I think the lesson was worry about what I'm doing. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That's my thoughts on it. One thing you feel has like been the, has been, I guess, one motivating factor. You know, despite you know all that kind of, I don't want to say disillusionment, but maybe like seeing people come and go and, and just say, oh well, not everyone's as committed as they used to be. What do you think is the motivating factor that's kind of kept you coming back? That's kept you, you know, going back despite kind of all of these different things. I, I do it for a different reason now. To me, it's my responsibility to keep the art alive. And before he passed away, obviously, I mean, we had this conversation many years ago uh, when I was first with him, was he was basically looking for a successor. And he did everything that he could to teach me. I really believe this, everything that he did. But, you know, I just think that um, what keeps me going is just self-improvement, whether it's trying to work on my kata, trying to work on my weapons. One of the hardest things when your instructor passes away. And a real quick funny story was we were in a hotel room one time at a seminar, and there were all these different systems, different schools, 
ninth, tenth degree black belts everywhere, hanchis, whatever the case may be. And we we were having a good time together. We were in a room, and then all of a sudden, one of them starts crying <laughs> right after laughing and says, I remember when my instructor died in my arms, and the next thing you know, two others jumped in. I remember when my instructor passed away, too, and died in my arms. <laughs> and Was everyone's instructor me, dying in their arms that night? <laughs> he said, he looked, <laughs> that's what was, I didn't know what was going on. I think maybe one too many drinks were had. And Sensei looked at me and he said, let's get out of here. And I said, yeah, let's go. And he said, boy, well, that turned sour quick, didn't it? And I said, yes, it did. <laughs> but the, the, the point was, was that there's, I think that things have changed over the years because since his passing, and it's been nine years, going on ten, where I was the one that all of a sudden everybody's looking at me. And meanwhile, I felt like I didn't have anybody to ask questions to anymore. So what I had to do was I had to train harder and I had to train more and I had to watch old videotapes, even of myself and watch, watch him on videotapes and go, okay, well, his timing's a little different on this. And, and not everything was on the tapes and there were some mistakes that were made on certain tapes. And I kept telling myself, I have to remember this part of the kata because he left it out. And he even told me, you know, this is like this and this is like this. Well, I had to remember that. And I had to keep practicing and practicing and practicing. And one of the senior students actually said, I think we've gotten better since he passed. And to me, that was kind of a daunting statement because I'm thinking, well, there's no way we've gotten better. But we didn't have anybody to ask anymore, which meant that we had to practice more. We had to study more. We had to look at how we were doing things, you know, more. Or remember what he told us. Oh, what did he say about this kata or about these two moves? I can't remember. I need to remember what he said. And therefore, we were focused more on um, trying to be better. It forced you to be better. It forced you to kind of, to, to, it was no longer something you could just walk in the door and anymore. You, 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 it forced you to have to focus more. And I think that's, that speaks a lot to your commitment where I think there's other people in, who would maybe be in a similar situation who maybe would, you know, cry in their beer about losing their teacher. But at the end of the day, you know, having their back up against the wall like that, I mean, you persevered. And I think that's, that, speaks kind of to the depth of you, you my friend. You are, if anything, you are a perseverer. And, you know, you, and generously, um, you don't hold anything back from anyone. And, you know, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm very glad, you know, even though we had some limited time, what, three years ago, you never stopped trying to keep in touch. You never stopped, you, you know, one of the reasons this conversation's even happening is because, you just reached out and were like, hey, can I, you know, I will do, any, you know, what do you need? And, you know, anybody listening to this, no one does that. No one, no one in my life has reached out in terms of um, what do you need, you know, in terms of martial arts, in terms of karate. And I think, you know, it's just, you know, my puff tea, not puff, but my thing, that's my thing about you, Chuck, is that, that, that is, you embody that. And, you know, I'm very glad, like, you're here talking with us right now. Yeah. You know, put the politics aside because we all know that when an instructor passes away, politics always get in the way. And 
change. I think that's one of the reasons. And it took me a while. It took a while to get to that point to where it doesn't matter anymore. Um, and what I mean by that is, oh, you can't associate with this person, or you can't teach that person this, or you guys can't hang out anymore together, even though you've been hanging out for 30 years, or whatever the case may be. And it's sad. It really is. And you get to a point to where you go, you know, hey, Chuck, or whatever, you know, can can you teach me Manji Sai? Would you mind doing that for me? And I know that person is training with somebody else, and in their system, and, you know, there's been some politics involved, but you get to the point to where you just go, sure, and you do it. Because in the long run, what difference does it really make? If you're helping pass on something that they might pass on to somebody else, and it keeps the art alive and keeps it going. My thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's where a lot of experience maturity comes in over years of martial arts. I mean, eventually you just get to a point, who cares what anybody thinks or this or that or the other thing or what organization you you belong to or it's like, well, I, 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 I want to share this, but you know, somebody might get mad over here, but, you know, you get to a point where it's like, you know what, it, look, I'm going to share this, and if you don't like it, I, I don't really care anymore. You know, I don't, I don't have time to play this kind of stuff, and I, I think I, I think you and I were kind of on the same page with that, so. Yeah, and like I said, friends are friends, and you might discover that you find someone that's a true friend, even though somebody else might have told you otherwise or don't talk to this person or hang out with them. And you might find out they're not that bad after all. And they might be the ones that pick you up one day and help you out. You just never know. Yeah, I mean, when you when you cut down like to style an organization, when people start saying, you can't talk to this person because of X, Y, Z, or oh, when things get dirty like that, it ends up the world becomes smaller. There's no reason, especially in the the world of karate, there's no reason for that. Um, there's no reason to, to cut people out or to or to kind of put them in corners. I mean, you might have issues with certain people, and that's, you know, that's fine. You know, karate's always about the community, but it's also about, you know, there's people in that community. And, you know, the strength of a community is dealing with the issues people have with each other. And, you know, there's kind of no better... No better attitude to have than what you just said, Chuck, is just, you know, friends are friends. And it's not, you might have issues, but you don't let politics get in the way. Can I, can I, can I put that down, Chuck, as your Manji side for all platform in terms of politics? Absolutely. You can, you can, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's... let's are we going to subsidize Manji side for everybody, all households? <laughs> I would, it is absolutely fine. Um... Because in the long run, what does it matter? You know, like I said, it's going to wind up being passed on to somebody else one day. And if we played the political game, Jonathan, you and I would never have even met each other. We would have never spoken to each other. It would have been, and you understand what I'm talking about, where I'm coming from. So that's why, like Jeremy said, you know, you have to put it down. You have to just say it's not worth it to, to have the politics especially when you're basically in the same organization. So yeah, I've been very fortunate to meet some great people because I said, the doors are open. All you have to do is walk through the curtain. You know what I'm talking about. As long as you can walk through the curtain, you're all right. I think that's the that's probably <laughs> the primal martial arts skill. Um, 
I guess one of the questions I've got is, I mean, you were around, I mean, obviously you're around Mr. Lowe, you're around Tyka a lot. I mean, what, what two better people to be around than, than that as far as martial arts instruction, especially? But I'm just kind of curious, who, who else really, if you kind of go back and look at it, who, who really maybe gave you just some some bit of wisdom or knowledge or something that just really, I don't know, just really knocked your socks off? That's a long list, but um, I was fortunate enough to be able to spend quality personal time, and, and I still get to, and, and that's a big thing with uh, Major Perry. And one of his senior students, Jerry Taylor, was actually um, one of my instructors in the uh, Shorn Con. And I told you the background that I came, how I originally started. Well, I walked into Jerry Taylor's dojo one day, and he's probably smiling down from me in heaven right now uh, for telling this story. But I walked in and wanted to show who I was and what I could do. And he, he told, Jerry told the story as, so Chuck comes into my dojo, and I was a brown belt, basically, and I threw a roundhouse kick, and I pulled it back in the chamber, turned it around into a hook kick, pulled it back into the chamber, threw a side kick, and did this without setting my leg down, and just missing by an inch or two the head area and the torso area. And Jerry, being a senior student, I, I, I do not remember if he was a fourth degree when I met him or a fifth, but he told Major Perry, he said, I don't know, there was something about Chuck, he was just too cute to kill. So, <laughs> so I, I was not always, you know, age, age and wisdom. Wisdom comes with age. And... Humility, I also think, comes with age, and patience, of course, comes with age. And I really think that that was a, you know, that that was another one of those wake-up calls to, you know, being humble over the years. Um, when you find out somebody does know a lot more than what you do, and they let you in anyway, and they teach you the right way. So I was very fortunate to have. Um, some of those people in my life, you know, Major, Major Perry has given me a lot of wisdom over the years and uh, still does to this day. Uh, back in March, I went to a winter camp and I've been to approximately 24, 25 of those. And I was able to spend a few hours with him. He always called me Chunk. So I don't know why, you know, Chunk, pull up the table. So myself and him and three or four other people sat there and ordered some food and got to chit chat with him for a couple of hours and it's those moments in time that you really want to take advantage of because they're not going to be around forever yeah definitely agree with that yeah i i, I remember pulling up to the table when we were in okinawa with uh with uh taika and yourself and mr logue and all that kind of stuff i remember a couple mornings i woke up really 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 early along with Tyka and we ended up going across the street to, to eat so it was just kind of you know he'd sit down and just kind of talk yeah. with me a little bit so yeah I mean sometimes that was sometimes those are some of the best clarity moments and lessons you ever learned so 
and you get a great, great two names out of it. You got from Mr. Oyate, you got Shuck, and then from Mr. Perry, you got Chunk. Shuck Chunk. Well, another outside of karate, when you get to sit down with these individuals that have been training for 60 plus years, and you realize that as you sit there and you watch them eat their oatmeal or their pancakes, and they're just having a conversation with you. You know, there's, I, I do not claim Taika as an instructor. Taika taught me two things. There's people today that claim Taika was my instructor. Oh, yes, Taika Oyata was, I was one of his senior students, you know, and Jim Logue would refute that because he said, you know, Chuck, I don't even claim to be his personal student because I'm not Okinawan. So there's something in that lesson that I'm still trying to figure out today. And because he spent 43 years with him, whether I figure that out, I don't know. But when you get to see them as regular people and they're talking to you like a person, to me, that's special. And that's a friendship. And when you actually get to have a friendship with those people, you really have something. And it breaks down that uh, kind of veneer a lot of people tend to give martial arts of like student teacher and and the kind of over seriousness i think uh recent culture has, has somewhat given it and well, well the only thing i'm going to add is i mean sometimes you know sometimes the best lessons learned is whenever you know you talk about friendship and just having conversations and stuff but people when they're just vulnerable you know they, they drop down the guard and they drop down all the mystiques and stuff what what there is but I mean yeah it's it, you know when when you just get get to the person themselves a lot of times you learn some of the most important things you'll ever learn so not, not just from what they're going to talk about but just about yourself so. I think that's like the ultimate thing about karate is that you know we work to preserve it and all that and you know, Chuck, you've done more work than I think either me or Jeremy have done in like twenty in twenty years with it, in like the last ten. And I think that's ultimately, you know, the work you've done is building those friendships and those relationships. And you know, I'm, you know, I remember the first time I met Chuck. You know, he invited me over uh, to his thing. We were over at your house, and we were just sharing beers. And you know, we had just kind of met, and then you know. Suddenly, I'm like giving him a piggyback ride over to his car, and he's driving back to his, to my hotel. So I mean, that's just kind of the way the you know that's karate at its best when you both have that um, you know that that drive to preserve and to also progress, but also in doing so, you know, building your community. Well, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. Because another lesson that I learned from Jim Logue is that he told me one time, he says, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And some people are always on. They always, they're always triggered. They always have their hand on their gun. They're always ready for whatever may come. And he says, if you look around, you will see a couple of people that are always grabbing somebody's hand at the dinner table or at the bar or let me show you this technique or let me show you what I can do. And there's always going to be those two or three people that follow that person and always gather around and go, wow, that's great. You know, and um, Sensei was teaching one time 
And at the end of the night, people kept coming up and asking him questions. And he said, can't we just watch the boxing match? Or can't we just watch the ball game? And there was one incident in Jersey where, where he was teaching a class. People kept asking him things. And then he'd go over and the one, and he would tell another part of the class, a good friend of mine, a joke. And they would just start laughing. And then he'd walk back over and he'd do a little technique or do something or adjust somebody on the other side of the room. And then he'd go back over and tell another joke. <laughs> and they just, the people he was showing techniques to were going, well, what's going on over there? You know, and so it's like you said, there's a time and a place, you know, you spend all day doing karate. It's okay to relax and have a little bit of fun afterwards. <laughs> I think that the old adage would go, you work hard, you play hard. So, yeah. Well, folks, um, or gentlemen, gentlemen, um, what have you, I guess, we haven't actually ended the, ended the podcast this way in a little while, but um, what are you guys working on this week in terms of karate? Pass ball to Chuck, then pass ball to Jeremy. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> pass ball to Jeremy. Um, as I've notated on this uh, podcast many, many times, one of my least favorite weapons to work with is, is comma, and... I'm, I'm really, the last month, I'm really like, you know what, I need to get over whatever's going on mentally inside me that makes me think that. So I've been working on that for about a month, and so I'm going to continue working on it because it, my attitude still hasn't changed, but it's like, okay, I'm starting to kind of get a little, little, little more comfortable, a little bit more, okay, maybe this isn't what I think it is, but then I do it again. It's like, no, yeah, it is. I really still look like this. So I'm trying to really kind of see what's going on behind that and try to move forward with that. So. Cool. Jeff, what do you work with? You just dropped a Joe video recently. Um, are you? Yeah, I, um, I have. I just counted them the other day, and I have about 110 videos um, of myself doing things, myself and my son, and um, I really don't put a whole lot out there public, and I thought to myself, you know, I have people that follow me or, you know, subscribers or whatnot, don't ask me what that means, I really don't know, I'm not a very technological person, <laughs> but I thought to myself, you know, it's going back to our previous conversation, what harm would it do? If I put out a few instructional videos on somebody that might want to learn, start learning Joe or start learning Bo or something to that effect. So I put out, uh, I accidentally put out Nahanchi Sandan a while back uh, uh, publicly rather than unlisted. And apparently a lot of people enjoyed that. And then, of course, I made it a list. Well, recently I, I listed it again publicly. Um, I don't know if only subscribers can see it or if all the public can see it, but I thought to myself, I've been watching you, Jonathan, and I thought to myself, you know, it is what it is. If somebody can get something out of it or likes it or doesn't like it, it, it it's all good. So I've been putting a couple of things out publicly um, just so people can see them and you know, maybe it might help somebody along the way. So, I mean, I think in this, like, age right now where people are, like, dealing with a lot of different stuff, 
I think, I mean, I right now I live on like a tiny island, and even though I think our our prefecture the safety measures have been lifted, the I'm still very cautious to even go outside, even go up or up an island or two, or go down to Okinawa, and so I mean that was kind of my thing where it was like, you know, what is the thing that I can do, and you know that's kind of why I've been doing what I've been doing on in terms of putting out videos and stuff. Is just this is something I can do, you know. I can't, you know, I can't drive PPE. I can't, you know, create a ventilator. I can do a kata though. I can put it on the internet. I can maybe, maybe encourage people to, you know, continue their training when they can get discouraged, especially at this time, and you know, especially in this time, these unprecedented times, as it were. You know, the best thing to do is just kind of do what Chuck's been doing. Just keep going. So, uh, Chuck, anything, any last things you want to kind of try, want to say before we get going here? Yeah, you mentioned something earlier, and I'd like to put this out to Jeremy too, just to see what, uh, just to hear his story. You asked a question about when you felt like giving up, when you felt like quitting, when you felt like, you know, I just, I can't do this anymore. And I want to give one incident of that. But I'd like to hear your thoughts and Jeremy's thoughts also. Is when I was first learning Manji Sai, Sensei said, okay, I'm going to teach you the second kata first because it's shorter, you know, and, and a little less difficult than the first one. So I said, okay. So I start doing Manji Sai and he basically does, he starts the kata. And he zips to the front of the room and he's moving these manji sai around and he makes, you know, these motions and he goes to the front of the room and he turns around and he says, okay, let's do it again. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, what did we just do? And I don't even know how to move manji sai. So he didn't start me with, okay, it flips this way. He started with me with, okay, here's the kata. <laughs> so, so then we do it again. And we do it again. And you and I both know that Manji Sai is not a Sai. So we get to the part where he goes to the end and he turns. And I looked at him and I made, this was where I made one of my mistakes at. And I said, sir, I said, can we slow it down a little bit? And he looked at me and he said, stop using me as a crutch and just do the damn kata. <laughs> That's terrifying. It got, much, it got much better after that. Not really. I mean, I was shaking. You know, <laughs> going, okay. And it was that moment where I thought to myself, I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep up with him. I don't even know what I'm holding in my hands. And yet he's flying through it, you know. And he just, and it was difficult, and it was hard. And at that point, I thought to myself, I can't learn this. But I, um. But I did learn, and I was able to do it, and I wasn't doing it by the count, and it added flow, and it added meaning, and then, before you know it, I'm doing the kata, then I'm doing the first kata. Of course, the first kata, he put me in a corner by myself for about an hour and a half and said, I want you to do these two moves, and then he left me there. <laughs> and I'm going, if it's taking me this long, and I have to keep doing this two moves, what's, what's the rest of the kata going to be like? 
So that's just an incident to where I felt like I can't do this. And eventually I was able to. So don't give up. Never give up. Bam. It says it all right there. I mean, I guess we can pass ball to Jeremy. I, I definitely share the frustration and upset and discouragement with learning Manji style, which was probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to even learn. I, I remember I got so mad I was on I was on concrete and I was working with it and I just could not get something and I threw the one down so hard on the thing it literally bent the Manji side. I'm like, holy cow. And I'm like, okay, now I got that out of the system. Now let me see if I can learn it. But you know, it, it you know, it, it t- that one, that one totally frustrated me. But the the time whenever I had a chance to almost quit was the time when I, I was just starting out. We were doing Subarito training. We we were working so hard. I just I literally went to put it up. I passed out. I fell into the weapons rack. All the weapons fell on top of me. And I remember I was barely standing. Robbie's looking at me like like maybe two inches from my nose, and he's just like, "You never do that again. You got two ways to go through the door. One is you actually open the door. The other one, I'm going to kick your ass through it." So it was like, you know, I mean, here I'm like, I'm just trying to stand up, not pass out, and this man's getting ready to kill me, who I've only been taking lessons for maybe about four or five months, and I'm just like, okay, sure, whatever. I just want to go home. (laughs) So let's just say I had to work some stuff out after that. Like, what, what is my commitment? Can I still do this? Let's jump back in it, you know. So yeah, that's. I mean, those are two moments I can I can definitely see as being just frustration and t- t- teachers might kind of intimidating you. I <laughs> the only real time that it's ever really happened with me was when a teacher, and this was accidental, but they just weren't paying attention to what they were doing. Um, this is kind of long before I started working with some of the folks we worked with was somebody had basically taken my head and 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 me to be right in the head when i like when i was a teenager and uh pretty much put me on put me on on the floor and kind of no one knew what to do with me um and i was just like kind of just out of it for an entire day and i was like eh, i don't know if this is right or not but i just kept going so probably kind of youthful stupidity yeah, I mean, that's it. All right, folks. Um, gentlemen, uh, Chuck, it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, like I said before, I'll say it again, you're one in a million, my friend. And, you know, just having you tell tell your, your piece on here is, you know, a treasure in its own. I, 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 the honor is all mine for you allowing me to be on the show. I greatly appreciate it. I hope it's not the last time. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely fun. So, cool. All right, folks. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for being here. And as always, everybody, don't forget to keep training.